Welcome to the Rapid Change Matters podcast. My name is Howard Cooper, and for over 14 years now, I've been fascinated with helping people to create personal change quickly. But I still come across many who believe that lasting personal change has to take a long time, consisting of reliving traumas or deep psychological analysis, or simply that flawed notion that understanding why you have a problem will somehow make it go away. I'm on a mission to get people who work therapeutically with others to shift their thinking and realize that these beliefs are not written in stone. Rapid change can happen. So, to help you open up to what's possible, I'm interviewing top therapists and agents of change who are out there getting real results with real people really quickly. Before we get to the interview, I just wanted to let you know that I've written a quick-to-read, downloadable PDF on five strategies to amplify your client's response, with some great tips on getting your therapeutic suggestions to really sizzle. You can download this for free from rapidchange.works, where you can also find all the information about this episode and episodes still to come. Now, over to the interview. Today, I'm joined by David Shepard, a leading personality in the field of communication and influence. His reputation as a master trainer of NLP, timeline therapy, hypnotherapy, and NLP coaching is second to none. Additionally, he's the president of the American Board for Hypnotherapy and NLP, and he talks openly about his personal mission being to make the seemingly impossible possible which he does time and time again with his clients and I'm really excited to be chatting him today because what he doesn't know is he's been on my hit list to appear on this podcast for quite some time I certainly hope that doesn't sound too threatening David welcome to the rapid change conversation thanks Howard no I'm uh, I'm, I'm fine you got me so I'm here. <laughs> you hit your mark Fantastic. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm really, honestly, uh, so excited about this. But I'm hoping we can jump straight in, and perhaps you can tell us a little bit about yourself, um, what you do, and, and really fascinated by how you got started in this. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so, as you, as you mentioned, I'm a master trainer of NLP, of uh, timeline therapy, of uh, hypnosis, and also one thing you didn't, you didn't mention there. I don't know if we, we, we chatted about it before, but I'm also a, a Kumo in a um, lineage of Hawaiian Huna, which goes back at least 29 generations. That's uh, uh, another, another thing to, to add in there. Um, I run a, um, a, a training company, an LP training company called the Performance Partnership, which I've been running now for uh, 24 years. Um, I run another business called uh, Fix My Mind, which is a uh, high-end, high-street um, therapy business and also run another company that does um, corporate um, trainings with with NLP too so um, that's what that's that's what I do I've been doing that since um, 1993 uh, how I got started um, I was initially introduced to personal change um, through things like psychodrama um, through uh, things very similar to Est and Landmark Forum, mm-hmm. um, because I was interested in, in in transforming myself essentially, but then also you know had this deep drive inside of me to assist other people in, in transforming themselves, um, and but then got introduced to NLP um, via Tony Robbins's book Unlimited Power. And uh, yeah, there was there was one line which still sticks in my mind there, which in that book, which says, you know, to the fact that somebody experiences a traumatic event in their life once is once too much. To te- keep taking them back to re-experience it over and over again, in order for them to uh, resolve it, is not only pointless, it's cruel. Um, and of course, one of the things about psychodrama is that you take people back to traumatic memories and have them relive them. Um, so that kicked off my interest in, in NLP, um, started reading all of the Bandler and Grinder books, uh, loved, just devoured the, the whole lot, started using that with my, uh, coaching clients. Um, and then in 1993 decided that I, that this was what I really wanted to do. 
Um, so decided I need to get training in it. Mm. And did my practitioner training, May 1993. I had such an amazing personal experience. Uh, well, actually, a whole series of personal experiences during that week um, that it completely changed my idea about what my destiny and what my purpose was um, and decided there and then um, I want to be a um, I want to I want to train this stuff I want to teach this stuff to as many people as possible uh, and the rest as they say is uh, is history that's absolutely amazing um, and it's funny isn't it because I myself was heavily influenced by Anthony Robbins uh, he's come right. up a few times as being an influence yeah, uh, certainly that book of unlimited power uh, has affected so many people when you're working with someone uh, to help create change, are there particular areas or things that you won't help them with? Do you categorize people by you know, labels and say, hey, guess what? I'm not going to touch someone because they've been labeled as you know, having depression or schizophrenic or... For, for, well, I think it, it, it would depend on which business we talked about. I mean, yep. my Fix My Mind business, um, which is a licensed business like a franchise, um, so I don't actually see clients in that um, business. I, I, I run the whole thing mm-hmm. with my business partner, James. So that, that focuses on six things, which is weight loss, smoking cessation, uh, anxiety, phobias, insomnia, and uh, confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, because those are the things that actually uh, get more searches through Google in conjunction with hypnotherapy than anything else. Yep. Um, and then we also do see other people um, who have things not in those six categories, which we do with our ultimate fix, which essentially is like a, a breakthrough session. Um, for me personally, um, I'm significantly broader um, in the kind of uh, clients that I will see. If, if a client has a formal diagnosis from a medical doctor or a psychiatrist, um, then I will work with them, um, provided that I get a referral from, the, uh, from that doctor or from the psychiatrist or clinical psychologist. As in, you know, they give me their formal diagnosis, they give whatever treatment the person's had, and they say that they, are, they know exactly what I, what I do um, and they are willing for me to, to work with their client stroke patient, um, then, uh, you know, I, I, I work with, with people with, um, uh, all of the, all of the things you mentioned. Now I, I want to explore this a little bit further, but I also want to just reassure the listeners that if they can hear the odd clink or, or yes. clatter of, uh, people in the background, why don't you, David, why don't you tell them where you are? Yeah, I'm in the, uh, the Novotel in Hammersmith. Um, because we're running our master practitioner training, um, master practitioner of NLP, timeline therapy and, and hypnosis and NLP coaching uh, this week. Uh, my students are doing their first round of breakthrough sessions today, uh, so I don't need to be in the room. So I've just snuck upstairs, found a secret corner uh, where we can do this uh, this interview. Uh, but uh, it was very quiet when we first started. It was, it was. The, the music on, there's the coffee machine going, there's cups <laughs> clinking and all those kind of things. So I apologize for that. But uh, No, no, uh, it's great. We, we, we get an insight into the, the, the life of a master uh, trainer of NLP. You know, we're, we're with you right now. Uh, yeah, out on the road. As it's happening, yeah. Where it happens. So... Listen, as you know, I've got this thing about rapid change. Mm. Um, And it's not to say that I think that change uh, has to happen with every single person quickly, regardless of the issue. But it's simply challenging some of those age old beliefs that I think uh, people have that. uh, And you even mentioned on the rapid fire round that guess what? There are hypnotherapists or people saying, you know, oh, it's going to take 30 sessions to do that with. Yeah. you know, all that change uh, needs to be around deep analysis, self-reflection, reliving past traumas. Um, where do you think some of these misnomers have come from? Well, I think, you know, if we looked at the, the, the father, if you like, uh, you know, the founder of what we might call psychotherapy today, Freud. Mm-hmm. You know, Freud himself said that his talking cure, as he called it, uh, would only be for the well healed because it would take at least 500, 600 hours for somebody to get any kind of result. 
um, as a result of his process of um, them catharting. Yeah. Um, so I think that's you know where the idea of a, a long time came from, um, and you know, and then because then you got the the idea that you had to revisit uh, traumatic memories in order to resolve them, which is you know is certainly what I uh, experienced when I first got into change work as a result of psychodrama then you know it's not it's not comfortable you, you you're putting people through well quite frankly you're putting people through hell um over and over again um so it's 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 a it's a painful process and and hard work so does it yield results because part of me always thinks well there must be some people somewhere that get some benefit of it despite the fact that evidence points in the other direction otherwise why why would they still do it or people keep perpetuating it as a myth yeah i think the the thing the thing with with my experience of that is that what you get as a result of things like psycho psychodrama um and, and potentially of psychotherapy um psychoanalysis etc is that people get an understanding as to why they have the problem. Mm -hmm. They still have the problem, but now they understand why. Yep. Uh, and they can tell you exactly why their problem's so bad. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I quite often think, you know, back to, to my time of the psychodrama days, that you know, you'd feel absolutely elated at the end of the weekend. And I started to realize that you felt elated because you'd survived. <laughs> you, you, you'd made it through. Uh, you still had your problem. You understood it at a deeper level, and you survived. And so you came out like, "Yay!" Um, and you know, but then when I when I got into NLP, and I, you know, there's that line from from Anthony Robbins, which now I absolutely totally agree with. Mm. Um, you know, fundamentally. Now my belief is is that you know change uh, can be very rapid. Um, it can be it can be easy. It can be comfortable, um, but it does go contrary to a lot of people's beliefs. So obviously, people who come in with this belief that change is hard work, takes a long time, it's going to be uncomfortable, actually seek out modalities of change that fit that model. Um, and, and fit their their beliefs, and you know one of the big things that the the, the guys, the fixers in Fix My Mind, um, have to deal with, because you know with many many of presenting problems like anxiety, panic attacks, phobias, um, you know they, they 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 deal with that, and the symptoms completely, totally, hundred percent disappear in the space of one session, and the session is like ninety minutes. Mm. The bulk of that 90 minutes is actually explaining to the person how it's possible that their problem could have disappeared so fast. Because people get a little bit annoyed. They go, well, I've had this for years. How could it could have disappeared in like 10 minutes and so, and so easily? You know, that just, it just doesn't make sense. Um, and, but, you know, my, my thing around it is how long does it take you to get a problem? Mm. You know, there's one moment you don't have it, then you have a problem. So you get a problem in a split second. So why should it take any longer to get rid of it than it takes to get it? Uh, so when you, when you put that mindset on it, 10 minutes is a long time. Well, I, 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 I totally agree. Um, but I'm also wondering if there's a slight danger uh, to rapid change, um, which is funny because I'm obviously <laughs> pitching myself here as the rapid change guy. Right. Um, which is if it's set up as, hey, guess what? You know, we, you come in and most of the time it's one session. If mm. it doesn't work for someone, well, you haven't found that piece to change quite right. Is there a danger that they're going to go away and go, well, you know, I just couldn't be helped rather than, you know, well, hang on. If it took two or three sessions, it's still pretty swift in comparison to Freud's 500, 700 hours. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think this comes down to... Um, uh, client client selection and and then the appropriate treatment for the clients presenting problems so um, I I'm very 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 
precise on my client selection, who I work with, who I won't work with. Um, and also some of my guys in, in Fix My Mind. Uh, and also as a result of an initial consultation, uh, we would know, yes, we can get the result for this particular client in one 90-minute session, or, you know, no, it's going it, to, with this particular presenting problem, we're going to, uh, it's going to take maybe four or five 90-minute sessions. Um, so, you know, I think, I think it's about, uh, it's, it's, you know, realizing it's not a, not a, um, one, one fits, one fits all, you know, it's very individual, um, finding out exactly what the client's presenting problem is and then knowing exactly what you're going to need to do to enable the client to get the result and then how long that's going to take. I, I don't tend to do the, the kind of things that the, the Fix My Mind guys do because I leave that to them. So, you know, I don't see people for, for phobias. Um, I just refer anybody for phobias, panic attack, anxiety, that kind of stuff to, um, to my um, fixes in, in Fix My Mind. I tend to do um, longer uh, work with a client where I'll be working with a client for maybe a day. Mm -hmm. um, but um, I, th I think that's the, that's the thing, and I think that's the, that's also what I what I see a lot of in our field is you know somebody phones up and says I've got this, and a lot of people in our field are a little bit like Apple. You know, we've got this like I've got an app for that, um, and a lot of people in the in the NLP field or the hypnotherapy field go like I've got a technique for that. So they they wind up working on a problem that's not the problem, and so the client gets a result that's not the result, and quite. As you quite rightly say, they walk away going, um, NLP doesn't work or hypnotherapy doesn't work, yeah. rather than that specific technique that that practitioner did with me doesn't work. They do a blanket across yeah. across the whole thing, which you know I think is is a shame because it it it, it does work um, when uh, when when used correctly. Um, and as a result of those kind of experiences, some people might throw out the entire, the, the, you know, the baby with the bathwater, essentially. Yeah, and we, we hear that beautiful process of generalization in action. Yes. You know, uh, and how often have we heard, I mean, we've all heard people, you know, when they're trying to lose weight and they say, hey, I tried, I've tried everything to lose yeah. weight, you know. <laughs> And you break it down, and actually they've, they've been on four diets, or five diets even, over the last six years, and they yeah. haven't been able to do it. And, you For know, a week. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, and they've suddenly decided that, that none of it works. It just, yeah. I can't do it. Nothing works for me. Um, so, yeah. Uh, no, I, I, I think, I, yeah, I would absolutely uh, agree with you there. So, D David, what, in terms of the work that you do, because you've got lots of different aspects and strings to your bow, what's the work that excites you? What's the stuff that makes you go, oh, I gotta, I gotta wake up today and get on with that? I, um, all the stuff I do excites me because if it doesn't excite me, I don't do it. Um, and but then you know, if you're talking about degrees of excitement, yeah. My, my thing really that excites me more than anything else is, um, is doing seminars and um, teaching other people. You know, I came to the realization that. Um, you know, my life purpose um, is, you know, like global transformation. And uh, when I realized that, I thought, blimey, what am I going to do next week? Um, and um, <clears throat> so obviously I'm looking at how do I go about achieving that most effectively. Uh, and, you know, in 1993, I, I made a, you know, a commitment really to um, to share what I'd experienced with as many people as possible. So um, <clears throat> the thing that excites me most is the is my one-to-many work, mm -hmm. um, either teaching other people NLP, timeline therapy, hypnosis, NLP coaching, and and HUNA, or running my like my um, uh, weekend seminar like Fix Your Mind, which is which is like a, a group breakthrough session. Um, and, you know, quite often we have, we've got 100 people in the room and to have 100 people all letting go and releasing their anger, sadness, fear, hurt and guilt from the past all at the same time 
is um, is is pretty pretty exciting and, and pretty um, uh, uh, awe-inspiring when when you when you do that. And you know, then also with with fix my mind, you know, the whole thing that I've got people going out there doing really high quality change work with people um, uh, and having a successful business of, of their own doing that, mm-hmm. but without me having to show up is, is kind of like um, increasing the, the ripples of the effectiveness of, um, of, of, uh, of what, I, what I can do. So uh, that, that growing it beyond me, and that, that's where the app came in as well, you know, was, was uh, being able to create this medium where I could make what we know available to as many people um, across the world as possible at a very, very affordable price. That was the other reason why, you know, that, that was that driving force that, that had me do that. Yeah, and I'd just like to jump in here and say, uh, certainly to all the listeners, that I, I can personally testify um, how great this app is, um, and so can my dog. Uh, <laughs> because uh, since, since uh, getting hold of this app, uh, and David has got so much amazing material on there uh, that I keep having to find excuses to leave the house and take the dog for a walk just so I have another 20 minutes here and another 20 minutes there just to listen to the next bit. Um, so, yeah, I, I thoroughly recommend it, and so does my dog. David, it certainly comes across that a big part of your life is the training aspect of it, and indeed the first yeah. time I came across you was I, I Googled you because someone had mentioned you, um, and I just thought, oh, you know, who is this guy? immediately saw a clip from uh, a seminar on presenting magically on youtube yep and i experienced the weirdest time distortion i've ever had because 45 minutes later and i only intended to have a quick glance for a minute or two um i'm glued to the screen watching you in action and then immediately went and bought the book presenting magically right um that you wrote with uh, tad james is it yes that's right yeah Ian, Ian. tad and i uh, co-wrote that book yeah yeah um and I think it was just uh, so fascinating because there's so much information in there that I don't feel like is being taught in other or explicitly in other ways, uh, in other areas, in other places. So I'm, I'm curious about how you develop your style of presentation and uh, the way in which you go about teaching NLP. Firstly, you know, I've got to say that I am in no way, shape or form a natural presenter or speaker or or any of those kind of things. In fact, the the first the first presentation or the first training I did, which would probably have been in 1992, uh, which was a fire a firewalk seminar, because mm-hmm. uh, we did firewalk seminars in the UK before Tony Robbins brought them over here with his Unleash the Power Within. Um, I've got to say, and I, I know you have said that that, that um, uh, there is a parental advisory on uh, your podcast now. Um, I died on my ass. To, to be honest with you, I was absolutely terrible, worse than <laughs> worse, worse than terrible. And I don't know if I was just naive or just stupid. I just thought I could do it, um, as long as I was um, like Tony Robbins. But I'm just not tall enough, uh, and you know my teeth aren't big enough. And my um, so I was just absolutely awful. I'd been on stage for 20 minutes and I couldn't think of anything else to say. Um, I, I thought I'll fill the time because I've got five hours to fill. I thought I'll fill the time doing a doing a demo. I've never seen a demo, never done one before. <laughs> uh, got this poor lady on the stage to assist her in changing a limiting belief. And whilst she was on the stage, she asked for her money back. She felt worse now than she did when she arrived. Um, which is when I went. I think I've got it. I think there's some stuff I need to learn. I, I still find it quite amusing, even today, where you know most people have gone. Okay speaking and training isn't for me but something inside of me when it is you've just got to go and, and learn your your stuff i was going to ask you exactly what what happened that made that that process happen because that does sound like an unusual response yeah i mean i i, I don't know I, I guess i've just got this like deep drive inside of me um to to be a a speaker but i say like a there's deep inside of me to be a transformational speaker yeah. um, you know to to assist people in my audience to transform or change uh, their thinking in some way um, and so you know I, I did my practitioner of NLP I did it with Tad in 1993 um, and it, it was such a massively 
life-transforming experience. Um, I'd gone along to learn NLP because at that point in time, I actually thought my destiny was to uh, put together the, the world, world-class NLP-based sales seminars mm-hmm. um, and experience such massive personal change um, during that seven days um, that I just I went I went to town and said okay I want to do what you do how, how do I do that um, and he said well nobody's ever asked me that before but let me go away and think about it um, and he came back and he, he gave it he said okay this is what you need to do I hadn't got a clue how I was going to do it um, I didn't have the I didn't have the financial resources to, to do it um, but I just knew that I would find a way um, so um, you know, and even even to this day, you know, I I absolutely devour and anything NLP, timeline therapy, hypnosis, Huna, any of that kind of stuff all the time. Yeah. Um, and um, so I became a trainer of NLP in uh, a year later in May 1994, and started running my own practitioner trainings. Um, and my style really as has evolved from then. It's a continual um, uh, work in progress, um, and r- really from modelling people. So I modelled um, obviously Tad. I modelled um, John Overdorf, who is also one of the master trainers that made me a master trainer. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, modelled Richard Bandler through um, videos. Um, <coughs> But then I also started, uh, you know, modeling Tony Robbins. Um, but then also um, modeling people outside of the field of, of, of transformation. So I did a lot of modeling work with, with stand-up comedians. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, my belief now is that the days of chalk and talk are, are over. Um, you know, people now want to be entertained as well as educated. So, you know, all of my events are entertaining, educating, and transformational. Um, and, you know, and it's putting all these things together to, to have people, you know, you know, like you say, be so distracted by the delivery and the content that they haven't actually realized the, the transformation, the change that's taking place at the unconscious level. So, so we talk about this unconscious level. What for you is the the unconscious? Yeah, I mean, um, I refer to it as the unconscious mind. Other people refer to it as the subconscious mind. Uh, Freud was the first person who came up with the term unconscious mind. Before that, it was called the animal mind or the other than conscious mind. Um, so I think you know we've got a, a mind that we think with, which is very logical, rational, sensible, uh, as a limited focus um uh, miller would say it was like you can focus on seven plus or minus two things um at any one time mihai chiksen mihai in his book flow would say it could focus on i think it was 128 bits per second mm-hmm. um and it's very linear it's very sequential um in its in its thinking as the as, always asking the question why whereas you're unconscious um, is processing something like um, 11 or 12 million bits per second. Um, all of that information streaming in through your five senses. Uh, the unconscious mind is the mind that you feel with. Uh, it has a thinking style of a five, six, or seven-year-old. Uh, it's intuitive. Um, it runs all of our behavior. It runs all everything that we learn. Mm-hmm. Um, and therefore... You know, if somebody wants to change, and obviously what we're talking about is that the, so people are wanting to change the way that they feel about certain things, wanting to change the way that they behave in certain situations and contexts, thinking about it doesn't work. You know, when, when a client arrives, you can pretty much guarantee that they've thought about it for a long time uh, and it hasn't worked. Um, that's the feelings and the behavior generated by the unconscious mind. Therefore, if somebody wants to change, uh, the way that they behave, change the way that they 
feel, then we need to work with the unconscious mind rather than the conscious mind. Yeah. It's funny because I'm reminded of someone that came to see me uh, and they said to me, the first thing they said, they said, uh, I've been to three psychotherapists and five counsellors in the last however long. What on earth are you going to do with me that they haven't already asked me? Right. But of course, it had all been focused on, on that very cognitive conscious stuff. Yep. Yep. Uh, and the thinking. Um, and yeah, I, I certainly think that knowing more um, doesn't, isn't always the answer. No, no, de- definitely not. David, before I ask you to give me a couple of examples, because um, I love hearing about some real examples where you've, you've seen people who have made some massive, profound, transformational shifts that have lasted. Uh, just so that anyone that's listening, um, you know, who's got, you know, cotton wool in their ears can go, eh, 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 what's going on? Really? Can that really happen? Right. Um, I'd love to talk to you because we touched on this when we first spoke uh, initially. Um, just explore what we might call convincer strategies. And mm-hmm. how do we get, how do we ensure that someone knows that they're changing? Right. Uh, yeah, I think that's, I think that's really important. Uh, there's a couple of, a couple of strategies that I use with my um, clients and also teach my uh, practitioners, master practitioners to do, mm-hmm. which is the vital thing is, is to have the client have an experience of being able to do their problem in your office. Mm-hmm. So if you've got somebody, for instance, with a phobia of public speaking, uh, then I want them to have the, the response, the phobia response, in my office before I do an intervention. The reason for that is they start to realize that it's got nothing to do with public speaking or having an audience in front of them. Yeah. Um, so immediately they realize it's something that they're doing. Um, and, you know, as soon as we denominalize this thing called aphobia and, and turn it into a process and something the person is doing, then, of course, they can stop doing it and do something else. Um, so, you know, they, they have the experience of, of, of being able to have the phobia in the office. You then do an intervention, uh, which could be the fast phobia model in NLP, though I personally prefer to use um, a timeline therapy technique for that. Mm-hmm. And then I have them try and do the problem again in the office, and they find that it's totally impossible. They can't do it. So <clears throat> they had an experience of being able to do it in the office. You do the intervention, and then they find that they can't do it, which is contrast sells. Contrast convinces people. Yeah. If you don't create that frame, then what you'll get is when you say to the person, okay, are we done? They'll say, I don't know. I guess I'll just have to wait until the next time I'm speaking in front of an audience, Mm -hmm. which is too late. One, you're not there as the the therapist, but but two, they're going into the experience with the expectation that the the, the phobic response will still be there. Um, So I think that's a a real important piece. then, you know, if we were looking at hypnosis alone, I think the things that need to be present for hypnosis to work for everybody every time is that, one, the person has to have a belief that they're suggestible. Yep. Two, they have to have a belief that um, they were in trance. Um, and three, that it's okay with their unconscious mind to have the problem disappear. Then the, the fourth one, which is the minor one, is correctly given suggestions. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, all of those things are required for a person to be convinced that uh, the process has worked. And, and are there people that will just never be convinced? Yes. I, and the reason yeah. the reason I say that, and it's only because I, I had a guy, and I think I may have mentioned this to you, a guy came to see me who said, you know, he'd... Um, see me do a, a big seminar on uh, fear of flying right he'd see me a year before uh, and he wanted to do a follow-up session because he said it just you know it didn't work it didn't right. work and then when he sat down and a year later and says to me you know i said so how is it now and he said well before the seminar i couldn't i couldn't go into an airport right and afterwards not only have i been to an airport i've flown all around the world i've got a pilot's license and i'm, I'm going what 
but it did it didn't work like and he said well you know now i'm trying to do the helicopter license and i don't like i don't quite like the feeling of the vertical takeoff right um but I, I was just thinking, I've, I've often mulled him over in my head when we talk about convincing strategies with people, thinking, like, what what could I have done? <laughs> or what could you do with someone um, that says that? Or is it just a case of, well, hey, guess what? You just you just can't please all the people all the time. Well, I mean, from an NLP perspective, if you look at um, the idea of metaprograms in NLP, um, there is a metaprogram which is the convincer, is the technical term for it is, convince a demonstration um, and you've got a number of different categories that people fall into one is people who are automatically convinced uh, people who need to see hear, or do something a number of times to be convinced people who uh, need to experience something for a period of time to be convinced and then there is a fourth category which is somebody who's never convinced mm-hmm. um, so somebody with a what's called a consistent or a never convinced meta program um, will never be convinced, uh, no matter what happens. Um, it's a it's a pretty tough life path to tread, to be honest with you, uh, hmm. both both for the person and for the for the person that are that are around them. Um, and fortunately, though, with NLP and with timeline therapy and with hypnosis, for that matter. It is possible to work with people to change their meta programs. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, if I came, if, if somebody came to see me with the meta program that was around never being convinced, more than likely that's going to be part of the presenting problem that they've come to work on in the first place. Yeah. So, I would assist them in um, making changes to that meta program uh, to, to one that was more functional. And would you say that the way in which they built up that program to not be convinced for example uh is functionally the same way they would pick up any other behavior um or or phobia for example protective mechanism yeah i mean it, it could come from a number of different places it could come from very early in life um in the first seven years in what morris massey would have called the imprint period Um, they may have modeled it from someone in the modeling period from 7 to 14 years old. Or it could be as a result of a significant emotional event where they, as an example, trusted, trusted themselves, got it very, very wrong and painfully wrong, and either consciously or unconsciously went, never trust yourself ever again that's really interesting uh, and then from that moment on um they would then therefore never be convinced um because they were because of the wanting to avoid that painful kind of situation again in the future mm. um so then working with their unconscious mind to identify which one of those it is uh then we could assist the person in in changing that that's that's really interesting uh, in terms of where where it could have come from. So I, I touched upon this uh, a little while ago, and I said, look, I'd I'd love to hear a few transformational stories. Um, have you got any that come to mind that that you'd be willing to share with our listeners? Yeah, um, I mean, there's there's both ones from from one to one work, but then also. You know, people that have that have come on, on trainings and, and experienced major transformations. I mean, a particular one that um, that comes to mind. Well, it was, it's a it's a nice, and this is why I love the the training aspect of it. I was doing a practitioner training, uh-huh. um, and I got one of the one of the guys there, Andy, um, and um, he came up to me during a break and he said, "Look, I was I was in um, um, ex-military." Um, I was in uh, Gulf One. Uh, the only British Army fatalities was uh, a tank that was hit by uh, friendly fire by uh, an American um, missile shot from an American plane. And he said, my best friends were in that tank. Um, and I you know, dra- saw it happen and was dragging them out. Uh, but they were, uh, they were, they were, they were dead. Uh, and he said, and as a result of that, um, I've, I've experienced um, 
post-traumatic stress disorder um, ever, ever since then. Is this something that I can get rid of during the practitioner training? And I said, absolutely, yeah, let's, let's make sure that we, um, that we get rid of that. Um, and, and, he did, and he did, he successfully did with, uh, with, with timeline therapy. And uh, he was then doing my master practitioner training and I had, uh, at the beginning of the master practitioner training, I had a, one of the female uh, delegates come up to me at the beginning of the, uh, of the training mm -hmm. to say that um, she was on the underground on the 7th of July 2005, you know, when we had the, the, the bombings in London. Yeah. She was actually in the first carriage of one of the trains where the bomb went off in the first carriage. So she was in the carriage where the bomb went off. Um, and obviously very, very, very traumatic experience. Her best friend was in the second carriage. Her best friend died in that incident. So the, the lady who was, who, who was on my master practitioner training both had the extreme fear related to being in the carriage where the bomb went off but also then the the guilt of how come i'm alive and my best friend's dead it should be me that's dead and my, you know and my yeah. best friend should be alive which quite often you get with 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 post-traumatic stress disorder and she said as a result of that i haven't been able to go on the be able to go on the underground ever since uh should i work in in the city i had to literally buy myself a scooter uh to be able to get to to work um, is this something that I could work on during the master practitioner training? And Andy was on that master practitioner training. So I said, yes, absolutely. And I know exactly the man to assist you in, in doing it. Because I thought, since Andy's had that experience of getting rid of it himself, yeah. just, just his sheer projection on her will have the problem disappear. And it was, it was great to see them then uh, work with each other. And then... Um, we were doing that master practitioner training in in Richmond, right opposite the uh, Richmond train station, uh, and he took he took her out, uh, and they went for a ride on the underground uh, immediately after he'd done the uh, the intervention, um, and um, you know a, a real like even to this day kind of like brings tears to my eyes because uh, that's absolutely the reason why I do what 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 I do, you know. It's amazing. Um, yeah. And, you know, there's no walking away from that going, did it work? Um, yeah, it's totally 100% undeniable. Yeah, and she's not there. No, no one's like, no, she's just pretending. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. She's pretending she feels better. You know, she's, pretending she's, she's pretending she's all right. Um, so that one sticks in my mind. Then, then another one was, um, uh, again, it was a lady on a, on a master practitioner training. Yeah. And... Um, doing the breakthrough sessions like my students are doing today. Um, and what she wanted to work on was she was um, diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis when she was, I think, 11 or 12 years old. Um, and at 11 or 12 years old, she was given the decision, you can have medication which will relieve the symptoms of your rheumatoid arthritis, uh, but it will make, mean that you'll never be able to have children. Or not take the medication, continue with the symptoms of rheumatoid arthritis, but be able to have children. Imagine being given that decision when you're 11 or 12 years old, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy. She decided to have the medication. When she came on the master practitioner training, she decided that she wanted to start a family. Yeah. Um, and, but she'd been on the, this medication for like the best part of 30 years. Um, so she knew that she got any hope of, of starting a family, she needed to come off the medication, which means she needed to resolve the rheumatoid arthritis in another way. So that's what she chose to work on. Um, uh, and even then, there was no guarantee that since she'd been taking the medication for 30, 30 best part of 30 years, that, um, you know, she would, she would get, regain her fertility. Um, but the, um, the, the situation was that she successfully came off of the um the medication um and uh, we we then learned around about i think it was about six to nine months later uh, that she'd successfully got pregnant uh, unfortunately that pregnancy uh, ended in a in a miscarriage 
Um, but then very shortly after that, she got pregnant again and had the baby to full term and, and uh, gave birth to a totally healthy um, baby girl. Amazing. Uh, so, you know, th this is why, you know, my, my thing around making the seemingly impossible possible. Uh, and, you know, when, when I said the, 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 the important belief for a change worker is to go, anything's possible. You know, I, I go, I don't really know what's possible or not, uh, but I'm willing to act as if it's possible long enough to find out whether it is. So I, uh, I was going to ask you about how far a change worker's expectation impacts on the session. Uh, totally. Um, a quote from Andre Weizenhofer, um, who's a, uh, you know, in the, in the field, I was going to say a famous hypnotherapist, famous in the world of hypnotherapy. Um, uh, Andre Weizenhofer said, uh, this is a quote from his book, Hypnotism, is that the, the client has the uncanny knack of reading the mind of the hypnotherapist and making the hypnotherapist's beliefs come true. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Which, you know, if we think about it, it goes, so if somebody wanted to stop smoking and they went to see a hypnotherapist who didn't believe that it was possible to assist people in stopping smoking using hypnotherapy, the client wouldn't get the result with that hypnotherapist. But if they went down the street to another hypnotherapist who did believe it was possible, for people to stop smoking using hypnosis. And that hypnotherapist used exactly the same induction, exactly the same suggestions, they would get the result with the second hypnotherapist where they didn't with the first. Mm -hmm. So I think the, the, the beliefs of the practitioner uh, absolutely impact the result that the client can get. Well, a number of my listeners will have heard me talk about this uh, before on other interviews um, where I refer to, um, and it may be an unfortunate phrase, but the battle of the trances, which right. is, uh, you know, change worker goes and sits opposite a client. Right. And um, I know in that session, hypnosis is going to happen at some point. I'm just not sure with some change workers whether it's going to be the change worker that helps the person with the problem or whether it's the client that hypnotizes the, the change worker into thinking that they can't be helped. Absolutely. But yeah. I know I know, trance is going to happen. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, I, there's two, two things I say around that is that, you know, we've got this thing in um, you know, the presupposition of NLP law of requisite variety, which is the most flexible part of a system controls the system, um, which means, you know, and some clients are very, very flexible. Uh, and if the client is more flexible than the practitioner, then the client will use that flexibility to keep their problem. Yeah. Um, whereas the practitioner, therefore, has got to be more flexible than the client to have the client let go of the problem. Um, there's a similar idea in in sales when I do my sales trainings, which is in a sales situation, somebody always buys. Either the client buys what the salesperson is selling or the salesperson buys what the client is selling and this client is always selling limitations. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. Uh, I think it's absolutely bang on. Yeah. Now you've mentioned unlimited power. Yes. Uh, as well as a, as a good read, as a good book. Are there any other books that come to mind that people can go out by, get their hands on, and, uh, you know, you'd recommend? Yeah, I mean, there's the, there was a book that I mentioned in the Rapid Fire um, section, um, which is Richard Bandler's Magic in Action. Yeah. Uh, it's a bit of a sleeper uh, as a book is concerned, but it's great. It's a transcripts of, I think, six 20-minute NLP um, therapy sessions um, and it's word-for-word -word transcriptions and it, you know in the in the introduction Richard says all I'm doing here is submodalities but yeah. when you when you um, when you analyze the language in it you see that he's doing so much more than that and in actual fact the problem's gone before he starts doing the swish pattern or the or the or the mapping across um, yeah. and a lot of the things in conversational change is actually modeled from um, uh, Bandler's Magic in Action. Um, I think, you know, um, uh, I, I've got a huge collection of, of Ericsson's books. Um, and 
the thing I love about Ericsson's books, or you know, edited by Rossi, is that very few of them actually talk about Ericsson's language patterns. Um, but what they talk, because you know, the, the Milton model, you know, attributed to to Milton Ericsson, obviously, hmm. is is in NLP. But there's there's very little about uh, hypnotic language patterns in Ericsson's books. But what there is in Ericsson's books is his philosophy about change and his philosophy philosophy around working with, with uh, clients or he would probably call them patients, which I, I got some real major insights. Um, but there's a, there's a great book, which is like a compendium, which is a book called, it's published by the same publisher as um, Presenting Magically. It's published by Crown House. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's called... Um, Ericksonian Approaches uh, by Batino and South. Um, and Crown House sent me, this, sent me a copy of the book to ask me to review it. And I thought, you know, I can't imagine this is going to be that particularly that good. Um, and I was very, very, very pleasantly surprised. I'd say if you're going to get just one book to give you ideas about Erickson's thinking, not his language patterns, mm-hmm. not his hypnotic language patterns, his thinking around working with clients. If you're just going to get one book, that's the book I would get. Uh, Ericksonian Approaches by Bettino and South. I just want to throw in something now because it was really fascinating to me that on one of the audio programs I've been listening to that you were doing on, I think it might have been Conversational Change, and you talked about metaphor. And it might be, I might be misremembering it. You made a really interesting point about Ericsson that people would often think that, um, you know, he would just generate these amazing metaphors. Yeah. Yes. On the fly. And I think there's a danger that, that, you know, for people who are starting out and first seeing Ericsson and the way he worked, almost feeling a little intimidated. Well, how how could I ever generate such intricate weaves of stories um and i thought it was interesting that you explained actually you gave it a little bit more reality i wonder whether you you could share that yeah no it is on conversational change um because you know obviously one of the things that ericsson was um renowned for was he was his use of hypnotic uh metaphors and you know another great book if you're interested in that kind of stuff is um sydney rosen's my voice will go with you yeah um, which is, you know, the teaching tales of Milton Erickson with, with, with his, you know, transcripts of his metaphors with then Sidney Rosen's idea of what Erickson was doing in, in the metaphor. Um, but yeah, so what, what Erickson would do is he'd see the client, he'd, you know, do a personal history, get as much information about the client as possible one week, let's say, then he would, he would weave the metaphors, um, which he would deliver the week later. And I think a lot of people, particularly in the NLP world, just thought that these are things that he would just come off with off the cuff. Yeah. Um, and um, and, and that, that wasn't the case. So in conversational change, I think I teach two, two different methods of um, creating deep metaphors, deep transformational metaphors. Um, uh, one using the uh, idea of chunking and the hierarchy of ideas in NLP, and the other one being a process which I call the Dreamweaver process, mm-hmm. uh, um, and which, because in in none of Erickson's books does he actually talk about his process for creating metaphors. Um, so the, those two processes on the in conversational change is, is my kind of idea about how he might have gone about taking the present state of the client, the desired state of the client, and then weaving a metaphor that, that took them on the journey from where they where they are to where they wanted to be. It's um, absolutely fascinating uh, to hear. And that was something that I really I, I thought was just so interesting to hear about because I, I too had kind of jumped to that conclusion of, hey, guess what? You know, he's just he's just generating them on the fly. And that's just, you know, uh, incredibly impressive. And it still is impressive. But yep. um, I think it's it's probably not a helpful thing for, for people starting out to, to no. be there going, you know, I've got one hour with this person. I need to now weave the most incredibly complex metaphor that's so yeah. deep they won't know uh, yeah. <laughs> meanwhile the yeah. client's looking at them and they uh, are you there mr change work 
Sorry, right. I'm yeah. busy generating a metaphor yeah. for you. Yeah. Elvis has left the building. Exactly, exactly. Um, David, I, in a moment, I'm going to ask you uh, if you could share uh, your links if people want to get in touch with you, like what you've uh, been talking about, and they can, sure. how, can they, how can they get hold of you. But before I do that, is there anything that, um, when we talked about coming on and talking about rapid change and being part of this conversation, that you thought you'd like to share with people, but just I haven't asked directly? Um, no, I, I mean, I, I think the, the, the thing for me is always around um, having people realize what they're truly capable of um, in, in any area of, the, of their life. And, you know, from my own personal experiences that I gained from doing my practitioner training was that it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter where you are now. The only thing that matters is where you want to be. Um, and, and, you know, and that's in all areas of life, whether it be in business and career, whether it be in health and fitness, family, you know, relationships, personal development, anything. Um, and so, you know, to, to really go, you know, what is possible? Uh, what am I capable of? And if you're interested in you know, doing change work with other people, um, always pushing the envelope, always pushing the, um, the boundaries as to, uh, as to what's possible. Um, be, being aware as well that when you do that, you will get criticized <laughs> um, um, for, for doing that kind of, that kind of thing. But um, that's a real deep drive inside of myself. Mm. And, and then also for anybody who has this yearning inside of themselves to assist other people in transforming or changing in, in one way, shape or form is to, um, is to, is to go for it. Um, it's a very, uh, very rewarding, um, business or career to, to, to go for. Uh, so I've been doing it now for over over 24 years. I'm still as excited about it today as I was like in 1993. Um, it's possible to make a, a very good uh, living, a very good income from it, um, whilst also having this wonderful um, bigger payback, if you like, of of, of seeing how people um, transform themselves. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's probably, I, I would say it's the best job in the world, even though it's not really a job. <laughs> mm -hmm. Tell me, David, if people want to get in touch with you, where can they go? What are the links? So if you wanted to, uh, look at, um, trainings, um, if you, if you wanted to, to learn the stuff I've been talking about, then, uh, performancepartnership.com would, um, be the, the best place to go to. Um, if you wanted to get your own copy of the app that we've been talking about, um, then davidshepherd.com, uh, shepherd, S-H-E-P-H-A-R-D, davidshepherd.com will give you the instructions for getting the app with all the training material and there's new material coming out every month in there. Um, and if you, if people are also interested, I've talked obviously about Fix My Mind as well, um, then fixmymind.co.uk um, will enable people to find out more about that, uh, either because they want to, to be a client of Fix My Mind or, or because maybe they want to take up the business opportunity. Fantastic. Well, David, thank you so much again for being part of this conversation and we really appreciate it. And I hope everyone else has enjoyed uh, this as uh, much as I have. Well, thank you. I've loved, I've loved it. I, I, I love talking about this stuff and, uh, and sharing it with as many people as, as possible. So thank you for inviting me. Absolute pleasure. And we're going to be doing, a, it's going to be a, a seven day recording of a podcast recording that, that, you know, we'd love to have you back for. It's, it's seven days intensive of just recording and we don't sleep, we don't drink, we don't eat. It's just, it's going to be amazing. Oh, wow. That, that, that sounds like a lot of fun. Are you going for the, uh, is that a world record? Will it's just, the, it's the, the, world, it's the endurance podcast. Sure, podcast. Yeah. Great stuff. Yeah, and there's three days of just silence in the middle, and it's it's more a chance for the listeners. <laughs> it's uh, it's gonna be fun. Yeah, you heard it here first. Yeah, definitely sounds like that sounds like a good one. Fantastic.
I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, why not share it with anyone you think might be interested? And even head over to iTunes to give us a glowing review. You'll find more about what's coming up on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash rapid change works. And of course, you'll find all the links related to this episode, plus those free five steps to getting your suggestions to sizzle over at rapidchange.works.